at the moment, if you sort of come regularly, you'll know that we're doing a series on remembrance and celebration. And it's all about thinking what God has done in the history of the Israelites. If you've not been here before, or if you just come now and again, it doesn't matter that we're doing a series at the moment. I'll just touch on this a little bit this morning. So there'll be still plenty for you to get a hold of and understand. Probably like me, you've read a fair bit about Jesus over the years. Maybe you've read about him in the Bible. What do you think about Jesus? Rhetorical question. You don't need to answer out loud, but have a think about it. What do you think about Jesus? Jesus was a good Jew. He'd been brought up by devoted parents. He knew the Old Testament very well. He was devout in his attitude to God. And he dressed appropriately. He was a good Jew. He was taken to the temple when he was really young. And they dedicated him to God. And then when they were a little bit older, when Jesus was a little bit older, he went to Jerusalem regularly to go to the temple because it was always Passover and every year, and so they'd go to the temple to celebrate Passover. I wonder, though, is there a but? Jesus was a good Jew, but he was fully human, but he was also fully God. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus came to earth with a purpose. He didn't always act or speak like people expected him to. And that was because he was introducing an upside-down kingdom to this world. So, when I was thinking about all of this during the week, I was thinking, not where's Wally, because I've done those books, I don't know if you have as well, but I thought, where is Jesus? Because... Often when I read the New Testament, Jesus isn't where you expect him to be. So this morning, just for a few minutes, we're going to look at the different occasions when Jesus wasn't where you expected him to be. And there's a few, but we're not going to do them all because you want to go home for your lunch, don't you? I thought there'd be more of a reaction about that than there was earlier. Jesus, the Son of God and the King of Kings. Wow, I've read the life stories of King Edward VII. Guess where he was born? That's not rhetorical. Tell me. Buckingham Palace. That was right. That was one of the puppets talking then, weren't it? (laughs) Buckingham Palace. There was someone 107 years later who was born at Buckingham Palace as well. Who was that? 1841, 107 years Charles, Prince Charles, thank you. So, yeah, so he was born in Buckingham Palace, just like Edward VII. Don't important people get born in important places? Stately homes like Winston Churchill, or palaces, or big things like that. Right from the start, Jesus wasn't where you expected him to be. Surely he should have been born in a palace. Wasn't Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem 
and there was no room at their travel lodge or Premier Inn. So what they had to do was go to the stable and Jesus was placed in the manger. That's not where you expect the Son of God, the King of Kings, to be born. Do you remember the story? It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. I alluded it to it earlier. When Jesus and his parents would go to the Passover in Jerusalem every year. But when he was 12, the Bible tells us, Luke chapter 2, they were just going back from Jerusalem and they were looking for Jesus and they were looking for Jesus. Do you ever look for children and they're not there? This was the same with Jesus. Jesus wasn't there and they would have come with a big crowd of people. So they thought, oh, let's go back to Jerusalem. And where was Jesus? Not with his family where he was expected to be by his mom and dad, but he was in the temple talking to people far older than him and far wiser, in inverted commas, than him. He wasn't where he was expected to be. He was in the temple, which, of course, we know now was where he should be, really. But at that age, at 12, he should have been with his mum and dad. His friends. Now, you wouldn't expect his friends. Remember, he was a rabbi, a teacher. He was highly esteemed by people. You wouldn't expect him to be in the same place as prostitutes, as fishermen, shepherds, tax collectors, sinners. Why would the Son of God want to be with sinners? It wasn't where he was expected to be. How about his words and actions? I wonder if the people expected him to say the things he did. Jesus was a radical. He didn't conform to the people around him. He said things like, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love your neighbour as yourself. And maybe now we've heard all of those and it's part of our language. We know about it. But when Jesus first said them, that was shocking. You wouldn't do that. You... You don't do things necessarily that sort of help people, especially on the Sabbath. You do well and, and try and help people. But, like, you, you don't, if someone strikes you, you don't turn the other cheek and say, okay, then. Jesus was introducing something radical, an upside-down kingdom, as we said. Jesus' death on a cross in Jerusalem Jerusalem would have been very busy at that time. It was the Passover. And so devout people would have been there. There would have been thousands of people there, extra people in the city. And yet, that's not where good people die, on a cross. I've been to where Queen Victoria died, on the Isle of Wight. Maybe you have as well, Osborne House. What a beautiful room. And this is 1901 now, Fiona, so that's sort of after sort of, uh, all those times. But 1901, she died. And it's like, wow, what a peaceful setting. A lovely room. A view of the sea through the window. Jesus didn't die like that. He was the king of kings, the son of God. And yet he died on a cross. 
In Tudor times, because I, I like reading about Tudor times, and maybe you know about it as well, one of the things that people might do is go to see people being executed. They might be beheaded, or they might be burnt at the stake. And those were fairly quick deaths, weren't they, in Tudor times? But people would go along and jeer at them and say, ah, you got caught sort of stealing. You deserve dying. Crucifixion was far, far worse than being beheaded. That's over in just a few seconds. But can you imagine being on a bigger cross than that and the nails being hammered through your wrists and then through your feet and then you're trying to breathe so you push yourself up and then your legs hurt and your feet hurt and so you let yourself go down again and then you can't breathe again so you push yourself up. What an agonizing death. And all those people that jeered in Tudor times, there would have been similar people in Roman times as well. Because it was a common thing being crucified. People hurling abuse, saying, oh, you think you're the son of God, come down. You think you're this, you, you do this. It would have been so difficult. But then Jesus said, it is finished. He gave up his spirit and he breathed his last. All four Gospels say he died. They put him, they took him off the, off the cross and put him in the tomb. And the people that loved him, his close friends, his disciples, his family, would have seen where he was put. They knew which tomb A couple of days later, they went back early in the morning. They wanted to anoint his body with spices because in warm countries, of course, decaying bodies, decomposing bodies stink, don't they? And so to try and alleviate that and to anoint his body just because they loved him, they went and they wanted to find Jesus because they took spices. But yet again, Jesus wasn't where people expected him to be. Jesus wasn't in the tomb. The angel said, he is not here. He has risen. But the people who went, they went with spices. They went to anoint his body. They thought his body was going to be there. We know the stories because we've read the Bible, many of us. And so we know, oh, what are you going to do that for? But at that time, they had zero expectation that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. They had no idea that supernatural things were going to happen. They had no idea, like the colonel said, that something significantly more significant than all the other things that I mentioned, sorry, that the colonel mentioned, happened. This was the most significant event all of world's history. Where is Jesus now? He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He's here with us. Jesus is here. And that's where you would expect him to be. Yes, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, but he's here. 
but he's also in Kiev and in Moscow. He's with you as you tried to sleep last night, but all you did was tossed and turned. He's with you maybe as you celebrated a new job, or maybe there's been a birth in the family, or maybe you passed an exam. Jesus was with you at those times. He's with you when you get your fourth booster jab. jab. I don't know why I'm pointing to this arm. This is the arm I get sort of jabbed in. And he's with you when you get boosted. And he's with you when you have a phone call with someone you love. How do we respond to that fact? We've been looking at briefly Jesus being in different places where you'd expect him to be over the last sort of few minutes. We often find Jesus in surprising and unexpected places in the Bible. Jesus came to earth to die for our sins. Jesus is not on the cross. He's not in the tomb, though he was certainly in both of those places. Jesus is here. But a question again, I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I do want you to think about it. Where are you? We've thought about where Jesus was and wasn't, but where are you? I know where you are now. I can see you. And maybe if you're listening at home on the, sort of, uh, on the computer or you found the audio file, so you're just listening at home, that's easy. I can picture you there. But where do you stand with Jesus? Where are you with Jesus? You might have come to church for a long time and you might know him a little bit. But have you given your life to Jesus like the colonel was talking about? What do you think Jesus did? Did he die for you? How do you live your life in regard to what Jesus has said? Here's a scripture from Mark chapter 8, which I'll read to you. Then he called his disciples and the crowds to come over and listen. If any of you wants to be my follower, he told them, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news you will find true life. And that's Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. There's a wonderful Greek word there, aero. And aero means to take up yourself and then carry. We know how Jesus took up the cross for you so you could have eternal life, so that you could have abundant life now, even with all the problems that we all face. But Jesus is saying, have you met me at the cross in order to carry your cross daily and follow me? The cross is a place of torture, a a place of, a, a place we don't want to visit. But Jesus says, follow me, but shoulder your cross as you do it. 
I don't know about you, but I need God's help when I do that, when I think about things like that. To be selfless, to be loving, to be generous. I don't always feel like doing those sort of things, do you? But as we follow Jesus and shoulder our cross so we can say, Lord, will you help me? Where is Jesus now? He's not on a cross. He's not in a tomb. He's here with us, here. But we can choose to follow Jesus now. And we can say, Lord, have your way in my life. I want to follow you. We find Jesus today at the cross. We're not stuck in the past, sort of saying, oh, Lord, thank you for what you've done. But we're carrying our cross, the one he wants us to cross, to, uh, to bear. The colonel reminded us to choose life. And that's what we're here for today, to remember Jesus dying and then rising from the dead so that we too can choose life, to choose to follow him, not just when it suits us, but all through our life, every day, the hard times and the easier times. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship God together in just as response to that, saying, Lord, thank you for dying for me. Help me to choose well to choose that path of life. So yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have done it for us. You have died so that we could be free. You weren't in so many places where people expected you to be. But thank you that you are here. You are with us. You are loving us. Help us, Lord, to give that great reaction, that great and appropriate response to what you have done for us by giving everything that we are and everything that we have back to you. Amen. We're going to pray in a moment, but just have a seat if you want to. I want to read something out, and Lynn and Paul know that I'm going to read this out, and they've agreed what I'm going to say. Lynn and Paul have been a big part of NCF, for most of the time that NCF has existed. God has used them both to encourage and challenge others. They retired from their various leadership roles in December 2019. Last week, Lynn was told that she has cancer of the womb, which has spread to the lymph nodes and the lungs, and it is medically incurable. They are treating her with hormones to control it. They are part of our family and we want to help them as much as possible as they face these next few tough months. We're going to organise practical help but now we're going to pray. So anyone who wants to pray out loud or just in their hearts Let's pray for them now. This is our desire, Lord, to honour you. And Lord, we know it's Lynn 
Paul and Jack's and the rest of the family's desire to honour you as well. Give them the strength to honour you and help them as they continue to worship you, Lord. Amen. A little bit of Psalm 25. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions according to your steadfast love. Remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord.